Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, it's hard to say that right now for, uh, for the weather we've been having, but uh, I do know you're in control. Uh, I ask on behalf of my uh, friends who are farmers and on my community that has lots of farmers that you bring rain because you know we need it. And uh, that you bring it in such a way that we are just amazingly thankful that we, we don't forget to, to express gratitude. We don't express, forget to live in a way of re- recognizing that it's a gift. Uh, Father, I do thank you still, though, that on a hot night, uh, I get to be here with, with people that I love. And I pray, Lord, that you help us all to love on each other in such a way that we become very thankful that we were here tonight. I ask that you speak to us through your word and that you speak to us through each other. And then that you speak to us through the music that Adam and Jackie will lead us in. I thank you that you do speak to your people. I pray this in the name of your son. Amen. So, guys, um, for for those of you who haven't been here, uh, and Jason, you haven't been here in a while, we're still going through the Gospel of Mark, which we probably were doing the last time you were here, uh, because it's 62 weeks now that we've been going through this. And uh, we're going to cover a whole mess of Scripture tonight. Uh, which is why I hate to tell you this, but your bulletin is probably useless unless you have a magnifying glass. Uh, it is really small print. So we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, Adam is going to operate that. My oldest son is back in town after a month of being gone, and his mother and I are very, very glad. So, Adam, if you'll operate that, I'm going to read from my Bible. It is page 716 for the Tapestry Bibles. And we're going to be reading verses 13 through 31. And hopefully you're smarter than me because I was looking for 716 in my Bible. And the numbers are not the same. So this is what it says. And this this passage is going to look like it talks about two different things that are very different. But they're actually very similar. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Let me read that again. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me repeat that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since, my, uh, since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus again said, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said to to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are po- excuse me, but but not with God. All things are possible with God. Let me repeat that. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, "We have left everything to follow you." I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields with them, persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Guys, I want you to think of this for this whole passage, okay? Whoops. Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm used to a projector back there, which I left at my house. Uh, I want you to think of this. Now, what is this? Enter. Yeah, it's a sign. And it's pointing to an entrance. And what you can't see here is that it's pointing to a ladder, which I just think is funny. Because that's like, you know, entering for a crook. It's like you just leave a sign out to the crook and say, this is the best way to get into my house. That's meaningless. I didn't see that until I had actually put it into the PowerPoint, which is why I should look more closely next time. What I wanted you to see, though, was this. Enter this whole passage, both of these stories, the story of Jesus receiving these children and the story of this this rich young ruler, which is how we know this gentleman, because it's told in the, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Luke. And each one describes him just by one word slightly different. We know that he's rich. We know that he's young. We know that he's a ruler because of the way they all three describe him. It's the same problem. They just pick a w- different word each time. Um, we We... we have these two stories together and both of them come down to this. To entrance. To entering. Because that's what these stories are both about. It's just, we like to take them and we like to make them emotional. No, we see little paintings of Jesus with the little kids. Because Jesus loved the little kids. But Jesus lived in a society that could care less, could not care less about kids. Okay. We live in a society where kids are a priority. Our food is shaped by kids. Think of McDonald's. McDonald's was genius as a corporation because they made their hamburgers for adults, right? No. Have you eaten at McDonald's recently? It's a bland, tasteless piece of what's supposed to be meat but is par- probably cardboard. But they attached a clown to it and that clown changed everything. They do two things well. They market to kids well, and every McDonald's you ever go to tastes exactly the same. You can always depend upon a McDonald's. That was part of it. That was part of his whole process, was making sure that McDonald's tasted the same if it was in Nome, Alaska, or if it was in Sarasota, Florida. It was genius. Our society focuses on kids. But the Roman society didn't. The fact that Jesus would welcome these kids, the disciples' response is not just 
a response that you would think from a powerful person. It's what everybody would have thought. See, we have this mindset of these cute little kids. Here, let's go back to this. Cute little kids. And we're like, oh. All right, let's face it. Some of you are like, that's a really cute picture. When I, and I got to tell you, possibly one of the best parts of my week is doing the Google searches to put images with these things. I love it. (laughs) Sometimes they're just like, hey, that's an image. I'll shape a sermon around that eventually, and I probably shouldn't tell you that. But the beauty of it is since we follow one book of the Bible, I can't really do that very easily. But every now and then I see an image, and I'm like, that's just good. I'll put that up. And when I picked this image, I was like, half the people in the room are going to be like, oh. Anthony's in the background. You know now, don't you? You know what your, what your, your fetal child is, right? And I'm trying to remember. I think I know, but I can't remember because I think you posted on Facebook. It is, she is, he is. Oh, you're not telling everybody? Am I ruining it? I think if I remember right, you're having a daughter. Is that correct? Oh, well, that only leaves one other option. <laughs> okay, so if I'd put, if I'd put a, well, boy, Anthony probably would be like, oh, little, little bitty Anthony A-Train Smollinger is going to be cuter than that. We think of kids as cute, But the ancient Near Eastern Roman society did not think that at all. At all. Okay? And realistically, it wasn't that long ago, we didn't think of it that way either. Kids have, it would be stupid to say kids had no value, but their value was very different. It was not that long ago that, you know, when my kids were of a certain age, they probably would have been working. Truthfully, that was my plan. Okay? It just didn't work out that well. When, when Adam was brought home from the hospital, I put his hands on the lawnmower and said, just get the feel for this thing, okay? It never worked. But not that long ago, the mindset was, oh, kids are great because their fingers are smaller. The Roman society, kids had basically you know, no respect level. They had value. They could be workers. They could be heirs. But you would never take the most powerful person in in the world and expect him to treat kids well. Think of the two individuals running for president, most likely because we have a presumptive nominee right now, not not an official nominee. So something else could happen and there could be a different Republican nominee. But we have two individuals that are probably running for president along with lots of other smaller category or uh, parties. If President Obama suddenly said, you know what? I hate kids. And Mitt Romney said, I hate kids too. We would kick them both out. We would be looking for other people. Because we have this priority concept for kids. But they didn't. Roman children were not treated with great respect. They were not treated as though, oh, we need to make sure there's something palatable for our child. We need to feed them something like It was... Here's some food, eat it. The way it should be. I'll give you a case in point. Um, The Roman myth, the founders of Rome were, were these two people named Romulus and Remus. Do you remember how they were raised? Yeah, why were they raised by wolves? They were, yes, and it, it, we would call it abandonment. The word they used was exposed. Exposure, the mindset was, oh, I don't want this child. I'll drop him off in the woods because everybody knows that a baby wants to be in the woods. 
and maybe somebody will pick them up, maybe not. The mythology of the founding of the most powerful empire in the ancient Near East is about two individuals who are just dropped off, well, because their mom was a vestal virgin and their dad was supposedly the god Mars. And I'm saying supposedly because he wasn't. Um, And they just didn't want to deal with it. So we have letters like this. This is a letter from a Roman soldier in the city of Alexandria to his wife. And this is not meant to be a terrible leather, leather, (laughs) a terrible letter. He actually says some things that are kind of sweet to his wife. But let's read it. Hilarion to Elise, his sister. Now, sister is a term that could have been used for any relative. Um, And you're probably ahead of me now that. So know that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if, uh, if when all the others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech of you to take care of the, lo- of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you bear offspring. If it is a male, let it live. If it is a female, expose it. You told Aphrodite uh, to do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you thereafter, uh, therefore, not to worry. All right, look at this. You know, told Aphrodite, uh, do not forget me. And he's like, how can I? Think of how, you know, this is a, a husband responding lovingly to his wife right after he's just said, hey, by the way, if we have a daughter, just drop her off in the desert. Because he wasn't thinking there was anything bad. Kids were not treated poorly. They were not treated greatly. They were ignored. Do you understand why the disciples might be like, no, get the kids away from Jesus because he's important and they're nothing. But how does Jesus respond? He grabs them. They were probably babies because it says he holds them in their arms. Either that or Jesus just liked holding really big kids. But they were probably babies and Jesus holds them. He blesses them. He prays for them. He puts his hand on them and he uses them as an example and he says... Uh, actually, Adam, I think I skipped it verse-wise. Can you go back to that spot? He says that. I tell you the truth, if anyone who will not, uh, anyone will not receive the kingdom of heaven, heaven like a little child, they will never enter it. How are we supposed to receive the kingdom of God? Like a little child. What in the world does that mean? What? Yeah, all right, think of, of the letter that I just um, just read to you from a Roman soldier. What type of rights did that child have? None. None. One of the great things, for those of us who are Christians, one of the great things about our history is one of the ways that Christianity grew so much was Christians refused to treat their children like this. We did not expose our children. Matter of fact, we started taking care of the children who had been exposed. Early Christian tradition is what we would now refer to as pro-life. They just referred to it as being Christian. Somebody drops a child off, we'll take care of that child. Why? Because that child's created in the image of God. But nobody goes, hey, you should be a Christian like a little child. Little children are stupid. We know that. Think back to the dumb stuff you did. Pam doesn't like it when I tell stories to our kids about all the stuff I did with fire. I don't remember who it was. I was telling one, uh, one story one night here and somebody said, I don't want you talking to my kids. 
because I told a story about something dumb I did. Jesus is not saying we need to be like children. He's not saying, hey, you need to be an idiot when it comes to your faith. He's saying you need to receive like children. Receive like children. When you were five, what did you do to earn your Christmas gifts? What, what did you do to earn your birthday gifts? Because let's face it, if you had to do that, if, if you have stories of like, yeah, I remember working in the quick trip because I, I had to raise money for my Christmas. We're not hearing that as a great story. Like, wow, that's just a story of entrepreneurial spirit. That's awesome. Your parents taught you well. No, we're feeling bad for you. Nothing against the quick trip, okay? <laughs> I love the quick trip. I think most of your dad's salary comes from me buying Diet Cokes. You laugh. Clint knows the beauties of the quick trip because I've taken him there several times, probably once a day. Um, guys, Jesus says we are to receive the kingdom like a child. So let's talk about somebody else. Would you go to the, the picture of the rich young ruler? Apparently not. <laughs> there we go. All right. The next part of the story that seems to, to not connect at all is the rich young ruler. And I want to go through a couple of things real quick. Some of us in the room were not raised in church. And some of us in the room were raised in church. So we've heard different things. If you were raised in church, you probably at one time or another heard that the eye of the needle that is mentioned here is a gate in the wall in Jerusalem. Has anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, it's not true. I would not typically say that a previous pastor has lied to you. It's not the pastor who's lied to you. There was a lie that was started in the 15th century because this did not exist until the 15th century. It was called the eye of the needle. That is true, but it was not around during Jesus' time. There was no small hole that was designed that you couldn't fit a camel through unless you, you l- took all the burden off the camel and then got the camel to get down on its knees and walk through the gate. They named this after Jesus' sta- saying. And we know this because of a couple of things. You laugh. Why do you laugh? Yeah, not to scale, because we know this is absurd. Think of how the disciples responded. They didn't respond with, boy, that's pretty difficult. It really takes a lot of work to unload that camel. You know, he's saying that for a rich person to get into heaven, they have to work pretty hard. No, they respond with, and think of who the disciples are. They respond with, well, who can get into heaven? Now, the disciples were not rich people. Jesus did not pick the wealthy people to be the, uh, the, be the ones following him primarily. There were some that did. But the twelve were not rich people. They were probably closer to what we would consider. And it, it's not the same concept because there really there was a middle class, but it wasn't the same as our middle class. They were probably kind of middle class. And they hear, oh, it's easier for a rich man to get it. Excuse me, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And they think, well, I'm middle class. That must be like trying to get a a Ford F100 through a door. It's a little easier, especially if you you know you really gun it. Um, But it's not easy. 
See, they freak out. And Jesus' next statement is, well, here, this is, you know, who can be saved? He's like, oh, yeah, for man, it's impossible. I don't know why I just pronounced the word impossible like impossible, but I did. That's not a southern thing. That's just me being stupid. Um, Because he says it is impossible. But for some reason in the 15th century, people thought, well, I don't like the fact that Jesus says for a rich person to get into heaven, uh, it's harder than a camel going through the eye of a needle. Let's change that. Here's what I love. I love the fact that we are so different from people back then that we would never take Scripture and try to make it a little easier because we don't like the way it forces us to go. What I love is that in our society, that when Jesus tells us to do something, we just stop and do it automatically. It's so incredible. You know, I only have like one coat in my my closet now because I read that Jesus says if you have two coats, give it away. And I just keep on giving away. More people give me these coats and I give them away all the time. It should have been a lot funnier than it was. Somewhere in the 15th century, somebody started saying, I don't like this. Because it's really hard to preach that, hey, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person uh, to make it in heaven when you're preaching to the king. But Jesus here wasn't talking about whether or not rich people can make it into heaven or not. Rich people can. He had rich followers. Uh, we've we've been reading in the New Testament about one. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, a lady named Priscilla. She was probably wealthy. King David. I don't think God is up there going, hey, by the way, King David, you're the example of faith in the Old Testament, but I'm sorry you're not making it into heaven. You're out of here. Why? Because the camel couldn't make it through the eye of the needle. You can't get in. There are rich people who follow Christ, but he is definitely saying it's more difficult, and I think it's because of where they put their trust. Think of the people you know that are wealthy. And if we're realistic in in modern society, that means most of us. I like to earn things. I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm cool with a gift. But if you give me a gift, I have to respond in a certain way. I showed an episode of The Big Bang Theory, a a scene from it a while back, because Natalie was like, Robert, this fits in perfect with Advent conspiracy. And I love the fact that Sheldon, the character there, he receives this gift and he immediately starts thinking, I have to give another gift of equal value. And he gets gets crushed when he realizes the gift that that the person gives him, uh, Penny gives him, is just more valuable than he could ever repay. Yeah, I understand that. That works for me. Okay, I can, I can deal with this thing. Joel and Jody yesterday, they gave me this amazing gift for, for officiating their wedding because I, I had said, you know, you're my friends. I, I would prefer not anything, and then I know somebody's going to do something anyhow. And he gives me this bag, and I'm like, ah, uh, thank you. And he goes, just open it and look into it. And I pull out of this bag a fishing lure. I'm like, well, that's cool. And attached to it is a, a, a tag that says, this fishing lure is in honor of the uh, fishing kit that has been given through World Vision in your name. It's this incredible gift of amazing thought. And I could never repay them for that. I'm, I, after I received the gift, I'm like, I stunk at their ceremony. They gave me this great gift, and their ceremony was like 12 minutes long. Because I think like that. If Pete buys me a Diet Coke, well, I need to buy him coffee the next time. 
Pete thinks like that. You know, we think like that. But if a kid gets a gift, what do they think? I need to use this. I like this. Thanks, Mom and Dad. I'm going to play with it right now. Or even worse, when they're small, they get the gift and they realize that, you know, what you bought, they like. But what they like more is the box that it came in. And they're going to play with that. Christmas morning is not like, this is such a nice gift. It's like, let's play. It's awesome. The way the rich man wanted to to receive is entirely different from what Jesus was saying on the kids. Matter of fact, what he said was very, so different. It was this, what must I do? What must I do to inherit? And here's the irony of it. Inherit. That's a word of a child. It's the word of a son or a daughter that you receive from your parents as gift. But he's saying, what must I do? And I completely understand it. I completely understand it. Because that fits in with my, my mindset of I earn this, I make this, I take care of business, and then I receive my wages. But God wants to give us a gift that we don't earn, that we receive as a child. And maybe that doesn't get in your crawl. Maybe that doesn't, doesn't get in your way. But in my way, I'd rather just be good enough for Jesus to like me (laughs) rather than utterly dependent. So he takes this child, a child that in that society, her parents could have just decided to drop her off and nobody would have thought anything of it. I'm sure the mother probably would have uh, would have been upset. But that letter that was not abnormal for society. That was completely common. I mean, I would think the mom would be upset. But it's not like if we did it now. I, I, we, we do not have any understanding of how common it was. It was so uncommon for Christians to actually pick up exposed children that it is discussed about uh, Christians as one of the things they do. And how it's kind of odd. It's just a foreign society and we forget that. So, how do we avoid going down the wrong path? Because maybe it's not tempting for you, but earning versus receiving is very tempting for me. I want to earn my salvation in the sense of I'm such a good follower of Christ that he's just glad he has me. Versus, there's this church in Colorado that I absolutely love the name of and I thought of it. But I think everybody misunderstands it. The name of the church sets the tone. The name of the church is the scum of the earth church. I tried to get my brother to go there because I was just like, I just want a bulletin from that church. Think of what people would automatically think of you if if instead of saying, hey, uh, where do you go to church? And you say, oh, I go to tapestry. And they're like, what's that? Instead, you said, oh, I go to the scum of the earth church. Is that Satanist? See, there's earning slash receiving. And they're always in in competition with one another. Receiving, it's not about us. It's about how we respond afterwards. But 
But earning is about us working and doing and we get better and we memorize enough scripture and we pray enough. And if we don't, then, then bad things happen. But if we do enough, then God owes us. It's just not the way it works. Which is why we have people thinking they're, they're bad people because bad things happen to them. Because, uh, oh, I, did, I just didn't do enough and God didn't you know, take care of me. No. This is a British dramatist. dramatist? I'm not pronouncing it right. He wrote this play. He said, every man thinks God is on his side. The rich and powerful know he is. I would suggest those who work know he is. We have these wonderful sayings like God helps those who help themselves. You know where that's found in scripture? <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. It's always fun if somebody says it to me. Because I'm, I'm not rude enough to just be like, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> But, you know, I, I love that part of the Bible where, you know, God helps those who, who help themselves. That's great. I'm glad you do. <laughs> you know who God helps? The weak, the powerless, the ones who are at the end of their rope, the ones who have all the resources in the, resources in the world, and yet they say, I trust in Him and not in them. He helps the receivers. Like Greg Jennings. No. He helps, he helps those who go, please, rather than those who say, oh, just help me take care of this. I'll get it. I just need to start. And maybe that's not hard for you. But that's hard for me. So here's a few verses. Oh, that's not. <laughs> Every now and then I just see photos. I'm sorry. Um, here's... A few verses. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. All right, I love this because it is all about receiving, but here's what I love the most about it. One thing that kids know very well, when you give them a good gift, what do they want to do with it? Like, yes. Connor, if I just gave you an amazing gift, you would stop listening to me right now, right? Because you've been listening to me all night, haven't you? If I gave you a remote control car right now, I'm not going to, okay? I don't have one. But if I gave you a... It's kind of cruel, isn't it? I'm sorry. If I gave you a remote control car, what would you want to do right now? Exactly. Exactly. Because it would be kind of stupid if I gave you a remote control car if you just sat there and were like... I'll just wait till the end of the sermon. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Because if somebody gives you a remote control car, what you're supposed to do with it is play with it. That's what it was designed for. That's what you do with it. I love this passage of Scripture because he says, oh, it's the gift of God. And then the very next thing he says, oh, for... Whoops. <laughs> I didn't know I changed Scripture. There we go. <laughs> For uh, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, you don't earn your salvation. You don't earn His love by doing good works. So now you're free to go out and do good works. He gives you this gift of you're forgiven. Now go and live like you're forgiven. It's incredible. The receivers are the ones who go out and do the most amazing stuff for and most importantly with God. 
It's not the ones who try to earn it. It's the ones who say it's not for me at all. So let's use it. Here's another passage that deals with it. Uh, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known uh, known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ to all. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. Over and over and over again. Free. It is a gift. So we should live as people who love the gift. We should live as people who have received freely, so therefore we give it freely to others. We can forgive those who are the worst to us because we have been freely forgiven. So, my favorite story on the face, not on the face plan, in the Old Testament, I love this story. It's the story of Gideon. And the reason I love this story is because Gideon kicks butt. He really does. It gets into a battle where God goes, hey, by the way, you have too many men, so you need to get less. Okay, you need to get rid of a lot of these men, and I really, I just want you to fight this whole army with 200 men. So get them down to that, and he uses this drinking strategy, which is just a great way to chase people from your house. But I love the fact that Gideon goes, okay. He has questions. He says, if it's really you... Prove it to me. But the second God proves himself, he goes, okay. And I think it comes back to this. God's first greeting to Gideon. Oh, I'm so sorry. That would be the mark of Gideon. My geek side's coming out every now and then. Yes, I definitely put that in because I like Star Trek, okay? (laughs) God's first greeting to Gideon is this. Gideon is hiding. And it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of I, I want to say Oprah, <laughs> Oprah, uh, that belonged to Joaz the Abazite, uh, where he, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. And that's a long story, but we can get into it. Wine press is the absolute worst place you would uh, thresh wheat. The way you thresh wheat at that time is you take the wheat, you hit it, you hit it, you hit it, you throw it up in the air with a nice breeze. It, uh, the seeds drop back down because they're heavy. And the chaff, in other words, the junk around the wheat, blows away. Now, you may not know much about wine press architecture, but you don't usually incorporate a wind into the wine press. It's a big hole. So why would he be threshing wheat in a wine press? It's raining outside. No. Thank you for playing. We have wonderful parting gifts. <laughs> what? Yeah. He was hiding. He was hiding from people who were trying to steal his food. And so he's threshing wheat in the worst place ever. And the angel looks at him and greets him as mighty warrior. The angel looks at this coward who is hiding in a wine press and doing work there. And he looks at him and he calls him mighty warrior. Is he a mighty warrior at that time? No, he's a coward. No. Gideon becomes a mighty warrior. See, the beauty of of the gospel is this. God calls us holy. God calls us righteousness. He gives us forgiveness and then he expects us to go out and live as though we are holy and we are righteous. He does that which we could never do for ourselves so that we can become the very thing he has called us to be. 
It's amazing. I could never be good enough on my own. Truthfully, I have a hard time forgiving myself. But he does it for me so that I can become like the very thing he calls me. I love the story of Gideon for that because he starts out as a coward and God's very first words to him are, Oh, you're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. You're a person forgiven by by the grace of God. You're a person that he has fought for and he has died for. You are a person that he pursues. You're a person that he loves. If you believe that, he wants you to go and live it. To live as the one who receives and therefore can just let loose. So we're going to sing. Because we have two people who volunteered tonight to lead us in singing to the God who gives freely. You may not know that God, in which case I would love to pray with you in the back. Or maybe you've been living like you need to earn his love instead. But what we need to do is we need to leave this place as people who have received. And then we need to go play. We need to take the remote control car that he's given us. We need to use it for everything we possibly can. The salvation, the forgiveness that he's given us, we need to use it in passionate ways that other people find dangerous. It probably leads us down stupid paths. Because <laughs> that's what receivers do. People who earn it just try to keep it. Receivers give it away. So before I end... Anybody have anything that needs to be added? Then let's pray to the one who gives. Father, help us to be receivers. And help us to live as those who have been given a great gift. I pray this in your son's name because I believe believe he is that gift. Amen. Guys, let's stand and sing.